the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And business, we talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show here in studio. You could call us at 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. And we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find them online, tandemhr.com, for a wealth of information on their very, very informative and educational blog. Once again, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. But as I mentioned, we've got a jam-packed week of information, including some fantastic guests here in studio. Joining us up here on first is Linda Nichols of IMC Solutions, returning guest on the program. And Linda, I want to play a uh, a game. We've all played as a kid. We've all played uh, hide and seek. And I want to play a game of be lost or be found. And that's a game that I believe every job seeker uh, deals with at some point as they go through that adventure of uh, of that job search. So, Linda, welcome back to the program, and let's play. <laughs> Sounds great, Shalom. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Absolutely. So, whether somebody's actively looking for a job or they're just sort of looking for perhaps some opportunities that are out there, there's some very important goals that I think everybody wants to achieve. And I know you've done a, a lot of research on it. What do you think are the three most important things? Three most important things that are goals for job seekers? Absolutely. Well, to have a resume and profile, whether you put it on LinkedIn or a number of other sites that describes you, your profession, your areas of expertise, and what you're looking for. And that message, you're you're talking about LinkedIn, and I would definitely want to get more into that subject. But uh, as we talk about LinkedIn, it's not just about the employers. We all know that there are a lot of recruiters that are out there. Tell us a little bit about how recruiters are using LinkedIn uh, in 2017. Sure. And LinkedIn was really developed for recruiters. And as it morphs and improves, it is 100% geared toward recruiters using the whole uh, LinkedIn network to find the great talent that they're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, I know that there's actually special packages that recruiters are are paying for uh, to actually seek out candidates that are sending those signals. So let's talk about that, sending signals. How do you let employers know, how do you let recruiters know that you're on the hunt, that maybe, maybe if the right opportunity would come along, you'd be interested or open uh, to it? Well, they um, have recently made some changes that are excellent. Um, Again, the the only recruiters that would have access to it are those recruiters that pay for the recruiter edition. 
candidates need to know that, but what they need to do most of all, if they want to be noticed, is go to their settings. Go to their account, go to their settings, and make some key changes. So let's talk about those changes, because I yeah. want to make sure we, we get down to the nitty-gritty over here, and somebody walking away from uh, from our conversation with Linda Nichols of IMC Solutions understands what exactly they need to do. So how do you actually sort of change the settings to let people know you're open to being contacted? The two most important settings are who can send you an invitation that is in your basic account settings. Make sure it's set to everyone. <laughs> the second most important one is uh, the new feature, open to new opportunities. And that's pretty much on, uh, that's on the communications page pretty much at the bottom. And you need to turn that button on. And that lets recruiters know that you are open to new opportunities. So what happens to recruiters is we do a search. You now are spotlighted under the heading, open to new opportunities. I guarantee we go there first. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I know that there's nobody that knows this better than uh, than you, Linda. Uh, IMC Solutions, as we've spoken about many times on this program, you've been involved in recruiting and and certainly uh, a leader in the in the in the industry and, and a wealth of knowledge. And of course, uh, before we wrap up the conversation, we'll make sure our listeners can get in touch with you. But is there any risk uh, associated with sort of indicating that you're open to new opportunities? Um, you know, I've read two di- different conflicting opinions on LinkedIn. Some some authors say that your corporate recruiters, if they have the recruiter package, they may be able to see you. And another authority said that they can't. So I honestly can't say that I have the answer to it. So sure. you, appra- you approach it with caution, but... I think most corporate recruiters don't really have time to go searching for their own employees. Right. And the interesting thing is, and I think this is how somebody can justify it, but it's also, I think, a a reason why somebody should, almost everybody should indicate that they're open to new opportunities. A, most people are open to opportunities for the right opportunity that might be presented, a consulting opportunity, perhaps an employment opportunity, but also volunteer opportunities. I, I spoke I speak so frequently on this program about how to how to put yourself out there and and the connected are the ones that are often contacted to connect others and and so many of the opportunities posted on LinkedIn are also volunteer and organizational nonprofit opportunities. So, you know, LinkedIn is it's a whole conversation we could talk for hours and hours and hours on the subject, but there's some things that folks should be doing and some things that folks should not be doing. We talked about how to indicate you're open to opportunities. Any uh, tips that you have, Linda, um, regarding what our listeners should do as they get ready for the week ahead uh, to make their LinkedIn profile pop? Well, there's all kinds of great content on LinkedIn to give you um, hints on how to improve your profile. Finish your profile. If you're not good at writing, ask a friend, maybe engage. There's lots of good writers out there, even on LinkedIn, that can help you. Maybe for a nominal cost. Put a picture. Put a picture that's you're dressed professionally, you're smiling, so you're engaging. And be specific. Uh, Let the audience know where you are. It it could be greater Chicago area, but don't make us guess (laughs) what planet you're on. (laughs) Location is critical. Absolutely. And it's it's funny because I think, Linda, you and I have have commented, we've seen profiles that are, they're not really profiles. It's just literally a shell of a page. And we hopefully, unless uh, unless, uh, some of our listeners might be listed on the FBI uh, 10 most wanted list, most people, when they are Googled, LinkedIn hopefully is one of the top results that are popping up. And you want 
it's basically it's your virtual resume. It's basically it what you want people to know about you. It is. And and so you're right. Have a professional picture. Probably a picture of you on your most recent vacation is probably not the most appropriate photo for LinkedIn, maybe for Facebook, not for LinkedIn. Um, but what about contact information? You implied earlier about uh, indicating that you're open to opportunities. And we know that there's in-mail, LinkedIn's sort of internal messaging. What about actually listing other contact information? What do you think? I think it's critical to put your uh, email address and a cell phone, if you choose. If you've got a personal website or web page, put that on there as well. There, there is a section, again, in your, your settings that is um, so, something like um, best way to contact me. Mm-hmm. It's not terribly visible. Uh, recruiters actually have to hunt for it. But if you put it there, you are much more likely to, to get a, an email or to get a call. Again, you can always take it off if you feel that you're getting too many. But if you're really, truly seeking a new job, a new opportunity, make yourself accessible. Sure. And for some of our listeners that might be in the uh, in the space of they might have a portfolio of work, either they, they're speaking engagements or graphic design or fill in the blank. I mean, you know, there are so many other examples and you have a, a website. Perhaps you have a domain um, with your name. Is that a replacement for LinkedIn or do you need to have a LinkedIn profile as well? Oh, no, you need a LinkedIn profile because that's going to... Uh, LinkedIn and, and Google and Yahoo are tied so closely together technologically that that you you couldn't buy that much SEO for your website to get you that notice like you would on LinkedIn. Just Google Google your own name, A N D LinkedIn, and see if you come up. Great <laughs> advice for job seekers as well as uh, employers, uh, big or small. The nice thing is that small businesses really can benefit from LinkedIn. Uh, in, you know, recruiting uh, as well. It's so easy to find candidates, as you said, that are that indicate that they're open to new opportunities. So, Linda, we've got about a minute remaining, and I'm curious: Are there any things that, when you see a profile, you're you just think, "Oh my gosh, I do not want to follow up with that person uh, for employment opportunities." Well, if it's blank, certainly. <laughs> I mean, that's a no-brainer. But um, many people simply cut and paste their company information there and nothing about themselves Mm, you're making me guess (laughs) Uh, sure well well, if you're not going to put in the work then that probably indicates that maybe you're not going to you're not really interested maybe you're not really interested linda nichols of imc solutions always a wealth of knowledge and information we appreciate your time here on get down to business so much information and there's so much more to say but our listeners surely have questions how can they get a hold of you they can certainly call me at 630-637-6200 to ask for me or one of my wonderful staff we're all up to speed on the best ways to help job seekers or my email l-n-i-c-h-o-l-l-s at imcsolutions.com Linda Nichols of IMC Solutions, thank you so much for joining us on Get Down to Business. Coming up after this quick break, we will be talking with a true entrepreneur, talking to us about the journeys of entrepreneurship, the experiences of starting a business, selling a business, growing a business, and maybe even a failing one along the way. We'll be talking about that after this quick break. Welcome back to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I am your host, Shalom Klein, and I'm joined here in studio by my friend, Jeff Weber. Speaking about LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a fantastic tool to stay in touch because, Jeff, you and I connected several years ago, and it's great because we were able to follow each other's 
changes in progress and entrepreneurial journeys. So it's great to have you here in studio. Absolutely. So, uh, so thrilled to have you here uh, on Get Down to Business. And I know that you have experienced the entrepreneurial journey. You have uh, launched several businesses. Snagpad. Tell me a little bit about Snagpad and and the uh, and the, uh, the the story of of how you've gotten started. You bet. So, Snagpad. Uh, I actually found out through a uh, past coworker as an investment opportunity. And I had just recently sold my first business, and uh, I got entranced by the work of uh, our founder, J.P. Hatella, who's a professor, who um, created this job search management system that I found to have very interesting uh, big data implications and potential. It's interesting. We just finished a, a fascinating discussion with uh, with Linda Nichols of IMC Solutions talking about uh, folks in transition, and you're right. Uh, the 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 as you said, the data search potential it's, it's it's infinite and unlimited. And and I know that you've uh, you've made a, quite an impact in the industry. But let's talk about entrepreneurship, and then we'll get back to Snagpad in in a moment because I'm fascinated by the work that you're doing and the uh, and the services that are that are provided. But let's talk about uh, three letters that I know you lived and breathed uh, like many entrepreneurs for a long time. TRC, what does that mean to you? Yes, uh, at first, a very long name, Technology Resource Center, which became a terrible name for a startup because nobody could pronounce it correctly or say it right. So we went to the acronym TRC, uh, and that stuck. Uh, but that's a company that I had started in 1995 and really was, you could say, my life stream. I always wanted to have my own business, shared by many. And like nowadays, entrepreneurism is is a... It's a sexy thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a you see a lot of the younger millennials very interested in it. Uh, college programs have exploded in terms of teaching and promoting entrepreneurial studies, which um, I won't date myself, but didn't exist back in the day. Sure, there wasn't a roadmap. There really weren't um, mentors and incubators and accelerators and all the resources you see today. Uh, but through working at a company that I um, that was uh, involved in early stage technology. This is going back into the early '90s. Uh, CD-ROMs were out and so forth, and I learned the business. I learned uh, retail um, catalog business, uh, direct mail, uh, selling technology, particularly to schools. And in the company I was working for was in the K-12 space. I said, "Why can't we do this in higher ed?" And I went through all of your uh, research and testing and iteration. And finally, um, everything was saying that this idea was right and I should replicate the business model that I was working at and apply it to higher ed. And uh, if it wasn't for my wife to push me and say, uh, go for it, uh, you can do this. And if, if things don't work out, it's okay. We, we can still soldier on and uh, so forth. Um, you know, I took the plunge and, uh, I tell you, it was, it it was a bootstrap effort and, uh, it was hard, but we, we grew rather rapidly. We made the Inc. 500 list over that span of time and, uh, really accomplished. Living the dream, um, which is, which is fascinating. So in 2006, you, uh, you know, 
entrepreneurs get into business for for multiple reasons. Some like the operations of the business and they want to hire people and they want to run the business and they want to go through those journeys. You ultimately ended up selling the the business. Tell right. us a little bit about that decision. Yeah, so that became a reflective point for me once I did sell uh, to ask answer that question. Why did you sell? Now, I did know the answer, but uh, it came out in uh, a book that, that's called From Idea to Exit that I wrote. And the premise is that when, and I encourage anyone starting a business to try to visualize where they see, how they see themselves exiting that business. Is it transitioning the business to, to mm-hmm. children? Is it um, maybe doing an employee stock purchase at some point? Is it going public? Uh, is it selling to a third party or is it retiring and closing the doors? So, Jeff, I know that uh, when you're, you're involved in other businesses as well, I know that there was a business that ultimately ended up not making it. And I know that obviously you're, you have Snagpad, which we'll talk uh, some more about in a moment. When you have an idea, when you start a business, or perhaps for our listeners, when they start an idea or when they start a business, should you have an exit plan in place? Should you have the end game already in mind? I think you should, but it shouldn't be the predominant driver. Okay. Um, because things are going to change, right? You never, you, you can't foresee the path you're going to take. Um, so you need to be flexible in that sense. But I think the, the purpose of having an idea of the exit point from the very beginning helps you understand how you should incorporate. Um, if you're planning to get funding, if you're the type of company that you think would get venture capital, which as most people know, that's very rare to do. Sure. Um, then you likely want to incorporate as a C corp, maybe in Delaware. Um, if it's a business that maybe you and a partner are going to have, maybe you should incorporate as an LLC. Right? As you said, you never know what's going to happen. We we I've said with countless uh, folks that have a business plan. And sometimes people spend so much time planning, planning, planning. They never get around to the execution. Doing, 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 right. Yeah. Which, is, which is crazy. Uh, of course, getting starting to do without planning is also not a good thing. So, Jeff, I, I want to make sure we, we, we get back to Snagpad in a second. But be, between uh, TRC and Snagpad, you also had another business that ultimately ended up not making it. Do you mind sharing with our listeners what happened and what are some perhaps lessons that you've learned along the way. Yeah. So starting a business is like raising a child. And in this case, you should only have one child. <laughs> and um, I thought I could have two and and actually raise two businesses at the same time, two startups. Um, and there's there's a host of people who have done that, Elon Musk being one. I am no Elon Musk. Um Running and starting two startups is very, very difficult. And in the end of the day, um, this one business withered on the vine because resources were um, pulled in too many directions, mm-hmm. right? And I would say, too, it was a failure to execute. I did bring on a, uh, a partner to, help, to actually help run it um, and serve as the president. But um, we conflicted in vision and how to execute. And that friction is really the ultimate demise of, of not getting to the customer and not realizing um, the hypothesis of what the business could do. So you've learned the lessons along the way. You're now involved in the uh, in the 
ongoing story of Snagpad because I know it's a story that's still being written. Yeah. So tell us uh, in a little bit greater detail, who are you working with? And uh, perhaps, I guess, how our listeners can, uh, can you know, be a resource to you. Sure. Thank you. So the Snagpad evolved. So its original vision when we started was to have it, and, and Snagpad is a job search management system. It's actually a two-sided model, one that uh, serves as a CRM and a, and, a, and a coach for job seekers. And on the other side, it serves for uh, coaches or counselors that are supporting job seekers. Um, the business model itself actually earns revenue from the, the coach component. Mm-hmm. So we saw different verticals, uh, college career centers, outplacement, uh, and workforce development. As we grew and evolved and as the product grew and evolved, we actually found our niche in workforce development and supporting um, job seekers who are obtaining social assistance, SNAP and TANF programs, to be specific. Fascinating. Um, uh, so, uh, Jeff, uh, I know that you've written a book, and I know uh, I, I know that you have a lot of advice to share. But the truth is, I actually think that uh, perhaps somebody should write a book about you because I know uh. that uh, <laughs> that the story is still being told, and I know that uh, that that uh, Snagpad. Uh, is a company that we should all be following. And Jeff, I'd love to continue that discussion with you, uh, talk in greater detail, because I have a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more from this company and from this entrepreneur, Jeff Weber, the uh, the founder of, of, of Snagpad, as well as many other entrepreneurial ventures. We are actually out of time, and I want to make sure our listeners can get a hold of you. Uh, how can people find you other than LinkedIn? <laughs> oh, other than LinkedIn? Well, the best bet is my email, and that is jweber, J-W-E-B-E-R, at snagpad, S-N-A-G-P-A-D dot com. Fantastic. Jeff Weber of Snagpad, thanks for joining us here on Get Down to Business. After this quick break, we'll be right back with more about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Chicago, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. So a recent study by the Harvard School of Public Health studied and analyzed the uh, the care that's being provided by physicians that were trained here in the United States and physicians that were uh, trained abroad. And uh, here to join me to discuss that study is Dr. Fred Jacobs, the chair of the Department of Medicine and St. George's University in Grenada, which sends hundreds of doctors to practice in the U.S. annually. Dr. Jacobs, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I let's talk about the study and how it was conducted first. Uh, I know that there were a number of factors that were analyzed, including readmission rates of uh, of of Medicare patients and mortality rates. Uh, tell us a little bit about the process that was used by uh, by this Harvard study. Right. Well, the uh, the Harvard School of Public Health did this very exhaustive study. They actually looked at uh, about 1.2 million hospital admissions of Medicare patients who are 65 years of age and older, of course, who were treated by over 44,000 doctors. Uh, This is a a very large amount, and they looked at the the actual mortality of those patients who died within 30 days of being admitted to a hospital uh, and analyzed that against also readmission. Now, um, readmission rates and 30-day mortality are standard types of indicators which people use to judge um, something about the quality of the care given. 
certainly is not everything, but it's a good surrogate for quality. And what they found was, um, compared to U.S. trained doctors, those doctors who trained uh, it at, uh, at international medical schools had a slightly lower mortality rate than those who trained at U.S. schools. Now, the, the actual uh, you know, difference in the mortality rate was very small. It was statistically uh, significant, but it was very small. But I think the, you know, the takeaway from it is not that there was uh, a lower mortality rate with those, with, uh, for those patients treated by the international graduates, but that it wasn't higher because everybody, uh, I should say everybody, but many in the United States academic medical circles have been deriding the quality of the students and the quality of the physicians who graduate from international medical schools as being inferior or second rate. And not only this study, but other studies that are also quoted in this uh, research paper have all shown that the mortality rate, if anything, it is lower for international medical graduates. The question is, why is that? Uh, sure. Well, Dr. Jacobs, I want to get to the uh, to that answer, and, and, and I know that that is a fascinating study of, again, analyzing mortality rates and using that sample of elderly patients admitted to hospitals in the United States. It's fascinating. But uh, I know you know a lot about this subject of uh, physicians' shortages, uh, particularly in in rural yeah. communities around the United States, in some poor and rural urban areas around the United States, and and uh, medical schools, uh, international medical schools, are helping to address that shortage. So let's talk about that for a moment, and then get back to that study. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the schools like St. George's in in Grenada is is helping uh, fill that need around this country. Well, our students at St. George's um, overwhelmingly, or I should say to a very large extent anyway, elect to go into primary care specialties, that is internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, and some people would say obstetrics as well. Uh, About 47% of our last class went into uh, primary care specialties. Now, a class is very large. For instance, last year, this present year that began in July of 2016, the academic year, We placed 871 of our graduates in first-year residency positions in the United States, 871. Now, that's more graduates in first-year residency positions than any other medical school in the world, just to give you an idea of the magnitude. Of that group, about half of them are going to go into primary care specialties. We, We try, because we have such a diverse student body, we represent on our campus 94 different countries. Uh, 70% of the, of the members of the class are, uh, are United States citizens or permanent residents, but 30% are not. 30% are international. So then that, if you go to the campus, I was just there for our clinical meetings, and walk around and see the students, it's like a mini United Nations. I mean, the magnitude of the interaction among the various ethnicities and religious groups and personality groups is really mind-boggling. And here's a huge school where 80% of the instruction is given, in small, is given in small groups of eight students or less. So there's an awful lot of interpersonal interaction. The primary care issue is particularly acute in rural parts of America. First of all, any doctor is, it would be welcome in rural parts of America because there is such a need for medical care without driving 100 or 200 miles to get it. 
And as a result of the, of the shortage, and the, the projected shortage is about 100,000 doctors short in the next several years, and that's not being addressed in the only way it really can be addressed, by the Congress authorizing more money to train residents. Well, Dr. Jacobs, we are out of time, um, but a fascinating study by the Harvard School of Public Health and certainly your work uh, at St. George's University, uh, certainly fascinating. Dr. Jacobs, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Well, we want to continue this, this discussion about the doctor shortage, continue this discussion about this fascinating study, and we'll be sure to have you back on in future weeks. Thanks so much for joining us on the program. Coming up after the break, we've got more tips, advice, and information uh, here on Get Down to Business. Don't touch this dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find them online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. And speaking of tandemhr.com, they actually have a brand new beautiful website. And you should check it out, tandemhr.com. Their blog is prominently featured with a wealth of knowledge and information uh, on so many subjects, one of which I want to address and discuss right now, and that is about PEOs, professional employer organizations. I want to talk about how a PEO can help any business, small business, achieve business growth. The success of a business is directly tied to its ability to focus on its expertise. We spent the majority of this of this week's program talking about that when management is able to concentrate solely on the competitive advantages that set themselves apart their service their product that organization essentially will thrive alternatively when time and energy is taken up by various outside tasks and concerns growth and success no doubt will be limited So managing employees, staying up to date on compliance, attending to other regular HR responsibilities, often, almost always, will draw a business leader away from their main priorities and goals. That's where a PEO comes in. A trusted professional employer organization can take over these essential but tedious tasks that slow a business down. And that can likely allow small business owners, like many of our listeners tonight, to focus on their expertise, and achieve business growth. In fact, a small business that partners with a PEO, the statistics show that they're going to grow 7 to 9% faster. And so there's no question that attempting to stay up to date on the constantly changing regulatory landscape is a frustrating experience. Considering OSHA changes, workman's comp, EEOC complaints, overtime law changes, it's enough to make somebody's head spin. Simply put, HR compliance can be distracting, and while it's tedious and filled with paperwork, one small mistake in any of these areas can mean a devastating fine or a lawsuit that can fatally injure the bottom line of any organization. Working with a PEO, with a professional employee organization, takes that one responsibility off of your shoulders, and it allows you to focus to do what you do best. With deep experience on the regulations and constantly staying abreast of changes, the PEO accurately keeps your business in compliance on all procedures, forms, and necessary areas. And not only can you rest easy at night with this reassurance, but it allows you to better focus on your core 
business objectives. That's why businesses that use a PEO are 50% less likely to fail. That's an amazing statistic. So maintaining a group of employees takes more than just emailing them a Christmas card each year, trainings, evaluations, meetings, reviews, and career path planning are all important tasks essential to fostering a productive and loyal workforce. Unfortunately, these tasks can quickly fill up a manager's calendar, taking up a great deal of time. Often, these are either left unfilled or cause insufficient time for main business tasks. So dropping the ball in this area results in high employee turnover. A business that turns these tasks over to a PEO enjoys 14% lower turnover because employees feel valued not neglected. By the way, these statistics are coming from our good friends at Tandem HR. PEOs have proven strategies for employee training and evaluating workers and can tailor those methods to your business model and environment. And with that, with those concerns removed from the equation, you can then focus on the strengths that made your business a success in the first place. And so you want to join forces with PEO. It connects your small business to the pool and the power of a larger employee base. One result of this ability is to offer employees a more robust package of health benefits. Employees become part of a larger health insurance group, which offers lower premiums and better offerings. Current employees will be happier, and that makes it easier to attract talent. Retirement benefits enjoy a similar increase in value when a PEO is in the driver's seat. 98% of PEOs are able to offer retirement plans to employees, and participation in these plans are often three times greater. Again, this provides a great morale boost to staff, without internal management having to lift a finger. In addition to managing these benefits, PEOs can also take over the minor administrative HR tests that add up payroll. Uh, That takes a lot of time, and one error in processing can cause large problems and employee outcry. The right payroll procedures are required for your business, and they need to be utilized correctly to avoid errors in deductions, tax withholding, or direct depositing. When a PEO takes over this and other tasks, clients enjoy 21% savings on, on HR administration. Finally, you didn't go into business to worry about regulations, performance reviews, and payroll errors. You went into business for a reason, to focus on your expertise and to deliver a specific product or service to customers. A PEO exists to take over all of the peripheral HR activities that are unrelated to your central business goals. If you ease these worries, your time and energy your time and energy can be better spent on the reasons you went into business in the first place. So why are you still trying to do things on your own? You will want to talk to a PEO such as our friends at Tandem HR. Once again, we rely on them for all of our information on PEOs, on HR. They are our solution center, and they have a brand new website where you can find out so much more about their services and their information, tandemhr.com. Check them out. Don't trust me. Visit their website. Check out their blog. Meet their team. Give them a call and set up an appointment, 630-928-0510-630-928-0510. Tell them Shalom from Get Down to Business sent you, and you'll be very happy with their very free consultation. You will not regret it. Uh, we've had a fantastic lineup of guests on the program today. I've got more tips, advice, and information for you regarding phone conversations. But you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. Follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. Download podcasts, share the tips and information. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. And now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be heard daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. We know that the most important outcome of speaking with a prospect or existing client is learning more about them. Our ability to serve is directly connected to how much we understand their needs, challenges, and goals. Yet many times we end a phone conversation without having learned anything new. Why is that? The most common reason is we did most of the talking. So how, I know this sounds like a crazy question, but how do you, present, how do you prevent yourselves from talking too much? How can we be confident that we'll be brief and precise? First, you've got to understand the reasons for your call. While this may sound obvious, we've all received phone calls from people who are only following up or touching base. Being this vague leads nowhere. When you call someone, be clear about your why, to hear their thoughts on your proposal, to get feedback on your workshop, to ask a specific question, and so on. Write down the reason for your call and keep it in front of you. It is the nature of conversation to reveal new thoughts and ideas, exactly why I love them so much, which create unexpected twists and turns that distract us from our original intent. We've all ended a phone call only to realize we didn't get the information that we actually need. And know that everyone is overwhelmed and that your ability to be brief or precise is actually a sign of respect. It's okay to to acknowledge the fact that you're busy. If you become known as a talker, people will stop answering or returning your calls. Most of us have someone in our lives we should call more often, but don't because each conversation takes an hour of our time. Record and listen to yourself. Yes, I mean it. I know it's uncomfortable, but it is the best way to know who you are on the phone. We all have phone personalities. You can't improve your communication if you don't know how you communicate. And ask open-ended questions. This is how we learn more about our prospects and clients. We inspire them to tell us more. And this is how we build strong relationships that grow and sustain our business. It really works when you get, we've talked about this so often on the, on the program about staying focused. And I truly believe that so often, especially on phone calls, because we think of it as just a time filler, something that we don't block out a full hour of time on our schedule for a phone conversation. We might not take it as seriously. We might not do as much preparation. I'm telling you, no, that's not appropriate. You should actually plan and you'll find that your conversations will be more productive. When your conversations are more productive, you will require fewer of them. You'll find that your time is more efficiently and productively being utilized. And you'll find that you'll actually be more respected by the people that you are communicating with. That's right. The most important outcome of speaking with Anybody that you speak to is learning more about them. And that's how we can service them better. If we understand their needs, challenges, and goals, that's what it's all about. That's what it's about in networking. That's what it's about in business. That's what it's about in the job search. So keep that in mind. What a fantastic lineup of guests. We had Linda Nichols of IMC Solutions talking to us about LinkedIn, how to utilize LinkedIn for the job search, or even how to recruit candidates through LinkedIn. We had Jeff Weber of Snagpad telling us his fascinating entrepreneurial journey of starting a business uh, that ultimately ended up being sold to CDW, a business that failed, and a business that's still an ongoing chain of events and uh, truly the adventures of an entrepreneur. Uh, Fascinating story. Enjoyed that. And finally, we spoke with Dr. Fred Jacobs, um, from St. George's uh, Medical School in Grenada, fascinating study by Harvard School of Public Health about how doctors educated abroad 
actually are providing better care. Really, really interesting discussion. That's what we do here on Get Down to Business. We have fascinating discussions to make your week even better. Business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. You can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. You can get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week on the show, all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Many, many hundreds of guests have been on this program. Share a podcast with a friend, a colleague, a neighbor. You won't regret it. They won't regret it. Again, we'll be back next week, Sunday at 6 p.m. here on AM560. The answer, download podcasts from my website, shalomkline.com. Give our friends at TandemHR a call at 630-928-0510. Check out their new website, tandemhr.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.